Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. Well, today I chose as my scripture passage a portion from Psalm 119 to not only serve as an encouragement to David in his future years as an ordained minister of the gospel, but also to serve the people of Jacobswell Church with the hope of a renewed good news understanding of something many of us are confused about when it comes to our life in Christ. What is it that we can get confused about? The law of the Lord. So if you'd open with me to Psalm 119, and here is a reading from the songbook of the people of God. Psalm 119, beginning in verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I hope I'm not alone, Jacobs Williams, in admitting something this morning. I heard Dan admitted last week that he wasn't good at flossing. And the first service, you guys apparently shamed him very hard. What I have to admit this morning runs a little deeper than flossing. And it's this. I admit that the first verse of this passage has rarely, if ever, come off of my lips. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all my days. I have uttered, oh, how I love the warm sand between my toes on a vacation in Florida in February. Oh, I love that. Oh, how I love my new Harry's shaver. I actually like shaving in the morning. Oh, I love how smooth a shave. I have uttered, oh, how I love my wife, Bliss. Oh, how I even love the Lord and what the Lord has done for me. But oh, how I love your law. Why doesn't this phrase fall off of my Lord-loving lips? It might be my cultural understanding of law, maybe. When we hear the word law, 
what comes to mind for you? Rules, regulations, speed limits. When we hear the word law and the speed limits exceeded, and you see the red and, le- and blue lights flashing behind you in the rearview mirror, is what comes off your lips, oh, how I love the law. Probably not. Law in the scriptures, friends, it does include things like rules, regulations, and limitations in the scriptures. It does. But it is about so much more than those things. Because law, friends, is never an end in and of itself. Law is a means to an end. Let me explain. What does a law do? A law brings order to things. What does order do? Order gives security to a people. What does security do? Security gives us peace. What does peace do? Peace allows us to live life fully. And living life fully, where does that lead to? It leads to the Lord who gave us life. So in the end, every law in Scripture you are able to find at the end of that law the giver of life. The law of God is given to us to show us God himself. For the psalmist, for the nation of Israel, law was so important to their mission, God's mission of them in blessing the world through this little people Israel. Moses in Deuteronomy 4 commands Israel to remember why the law is so important to them. He says, keep the laws and do them, for that will be your wisdom, your understanding in the sight of all the peoples who, when they hear all these statutes, all these things you are doing, will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it? As the Lord our God is near to us whenever we call upon him. Did you hear that? What the law leads people in the world to say? What great nation is there that has a God so near to it? The law is a pointer to the Lord's relationship with his people. So the world can see how right and beautiful and fair God is when we keep the law. But what do we do with the law as human beings, as fallen human beings? What do we do with the law? One of two things. We make the law a goal, an end. And we often call that legalism, where we measure our standing before God based on how well we obey the law. Oh, how I love your law, for it makes me look more favorable to you, God. Or, We throw it out as a whole, David, in his examinations, antinomianism, I can't say that quickly, saying, I'm not under law, I'm under grace, so the law has nothing more to do with me. Oh, how I love your grace, and I no longer have any use for your law. Then you have no use for Psalm 119. How can that be? My prayer for us, church, and for you, David, on this ordination Sunday, is that Psalm 119 might help what comes off our lips be 
Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. How in the world is that possible? How do we love the law, friends? Do we try to be more law-abiding citizens of the kingdom of God? No, no. We love the law by being Christ-abiding citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Because Christ's life is the law fully lived. And because Christ's life is the law fully lived, we must love abiding in Christ. How is Christ the law fully lived? Three ways that this passage reveals to us Christ the law fully lived. First, Christ is our perfection. Secondly, Christ is our correction. And finally, Christ is our discretion. First, Christ is our perfection. I want to ask, how many perfectionists do we have in the room today? Angie Tofel, get your hand up. People who in a job interview would say, one of my greatest weaknesses is that I just like things done right. Perfectionists are usually control freaks, but perfectionists, that's me, I'm talking about me, and perfectionists are also usually people pleasers. Because perfectionists want to demonstrate to the world how impressive they are so they can have approval or standing as better than most. This is why verses 98 to 100 on first glance might rub us the wrong way like, Psalm, like verse 97 did. Look what the psalmist says about himself. You see this? I'm wiser than my enemies. I have more understanding than my teachers. I understand more than the aged. If this person were to walk into the church today and get behind a pulpit, what might happen to all of your ears? You might think him pompous. You are too big for your rule-following britches there, young man. But the psalmist isn't actually trying to draw attention to himself. He's actually about drawing attention away from himself and onto God himself. Why, then, is he different from his enemies, his teachers, and even the elderly, wise elderly ones? Because God's commands, the Torah, which is the Father's instruction, is always with him. Because God's testimonies, all the things he's watched God do, are taking up space in his head. Because God's instruction, God's loving character is playing on repeat in the playlist of his head. He's seeing the law properly as God's perfection on display in him. Because the law of God, the spoken word of God, has taken up residence in his heart, in his mind, in his day-to-day life. See what I'm doing, see the Lord in what I'm doing. If you think about it, what made Jesus' life on earth so impressive in the Gospels? Was it his winning over others personality? Was it his good looks? Was it his impressive put-togetherness or even his jaw-dropping miracles? What do people say of him? Is it any of those things? No. The question people consistently ask isn't about him. What do people ask? Where did he get this? Where did he get this authority? 
Where is this all coming from? We as a church at All Saints went through the Gospel of John as our first sermon series. And what you see consistently from Jesus, especially in the Gospel of John, is this Jesus pointing to the perfections of the Father, answering the question where he got all this. Over and over again, he says, don't stop with me. When you see me and you see what I'm doing, you see my Father's perfections. The law of God lives in Jesus perfectly. David, as a minister, as a preacher, as a music leader, as a counselor, there will always be this subtle temptation for you to be the end. Where people will say of you, he does a better job than some of the other pastors I've known. Or he's given me better counsel than other counselors I've known. He really knows God's word better than most I've known. May you never be an end or the pinnacle of perfection. Because David, even as you look in the mirror on good mornings, when your hair's combed just right, when your sweatshirt's in perfect placement, you know the state of your heart. The last words I left publicly from up here at Jacob's Well Church were words from a song. And it was to confront my own perfectionistic heart and to confront the hearts of those who might run the risk of comparing me to others or seeing me as an end. I heard someone say the other day they'd seen in me God's love displayed, blessed by something I had done for them. No sooner did they speak those words, I found myself somehow disturbed, uneasy as I took their compliment. Because I know the heart inside this man, and I know the truth of who I am. The only thing that's good in me is Jesus, the only thing that's good in me is Jesus. I've lived long enough to know, no matter what this life may show, the only thing that's good in me is Jesus. Church, the perfect law lived is this. The law summarized. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, might. And you shall love those around you as you've been loved. Check your perfectionistic heart and do a self-exam. Is every part of you loving God like he's the most important thing you're thinking about? Are the people around you being loved like this by you laying down your life because they're more valuable to you than you are? Perfectionists repent, turn from making you the end. Oh, how I love your law because it shows me Christ's perfection. He loved like I couldn't. He loved me like I wouldn't. And when people see God's wisdom, insight, understanding coming from you, say at least in your heart, that thing you see in me that's good, it's Jesus. Abide in his perfection, church. How else is the law of Christ fully lived? With Christ as our 
correction, not only our perfection. Look with me at the next couple of verses, 101 and 102, and I've also included uh, 105 as well. What else does the psalmist say happens when the law is loved? Verse 101 says, evil ways are avoided. 102 says, God's judgments are faced. And 105, God's word gives light to darkened paths. What keeps the psalmist on the right path? What does this 105 say? The word. What helps the psalmist look to the judgments of God head on? The teacher. And what gives light to darkened paths again? The word. The word is God's divine communication. It began in Genesis with God speaking the first word. In the beginning, I was. And it ends in Revelation, which is, I believe, where you are in your sermon series as God speaks the final word. And wedged within your Bible is the clearest speaking of his best word, his fullest word, Jesus. The word becoming flesh, the teacher, the rabbi, who would take the law of God, which over the years of Old Testament history had been radicalized into a law intended to keep people out rather than bless people in. Jesus spoke the law in the clearest way possible. How? He loved the least. He loved the leper. He loved by laying down his life. The cross on display all over the world today is because the cross is the law fully seen. The law, friends, is not supposed to be an outward act. The law is an inward love of God pouring out of us. Jesus, throughout the Gospels, promoted a law that was written on hearts, a law of liberty, a law of love. What's happening to our culture's view of laws and mandates today is that they're all about outward acts of self-righteousness, of virtue signaling, of saying, look how inclusive I am, look how affirming I am, look how tyranny avoiding I am, look how constitution keeping I am. Filthy rags is our law keeping because it's about the externals. And the externals are revealing the heart. Hearts of anger, hearts of self-rightedness and self-righteousness. Friends, I'm tired of talking to angry Christians about their stance on vaccines or masks or Joe Biden. These conversations are no longer life-giving and love-filling. They are about externals. Christians should be talking way more about the internals of our own law-breaking hearts. This is what the psalmist is pointing to, a dependence upon God and his word to correctly keep God's law. And he's signaling Christ's virtue, the word's rightness, the teacher's perfect instruction, not ours. I am on the right path off of the evil way in verse 101. Why? Because I hold tightly to your word. I can face God's judgments, God's legal judgments seen in verse 102. I can face the courtroom of my king, not because I fought with my very life to have the Ten Commandments displayed in the front of a public courtroom. 
No, I can face God's legal judgment of me because I'm hiding in the shadow of the one who kept the commandment perfectly. A perfect man is my guilty plea. A perfect God is my perfect standing. Oh, how I love your law because it shows me how guilty I was and how gracious Christ is. David, you were so honest in your ordination exam about a signature sin of yours. I asked him the question in front of everybody. Hey, what are some of your signature sins, David? Let us all know so we can hold you accountable to these things. And one of the things he said, which is so pleasing to my heart, is he said, I have a lack of conviction over my sin when things are going right in my life. David, I would ask that you prayerfully open the word of God every Monday morning in your study. A testimony of all the laws you have not kept. All your guilty verdicts are listed in here. All your darkened paths that you chose to walk on are listed in here instead of loving people like you've been loved. So, as you read that on Monday morning, you can stand securely up here on Sunday morning with a guitar in hand or a Bible in hand declaring how you can stand and you can sing and you can preach a Christ who corrected your every wrong. So that the Father sings over you the word of Christ. This is my son with whom I'm well pleased because Christ corrected you. Abide in his correction, David. Abide in his correcting us, church. Lastly, how is Christ the law fully lived? Christ is our perfection. Christ is our correction. And finally, Christ is our discretion. What, what is discretion? Discretion is the ability to decide the right thing to do in a given situation. A psalmist in verses 103 and 104 is having his palate trained to recognize tastes. Look what he says in 103. How sweet, or rather pleasingly smooth to my palate, mm, just want to roll around, are your words, are your rules. Are your precepts? Mmm, mmm, that tastes good. As some of you parents have experienced with children, it can take 15 to 20 times of introducing a food to a young one before they'll eat it or like it. It's probably 30, 40 times before they like it. Except for cake, right? That's like a half a taste, and they're hooked on their first birthday. But a child of God's taste buds need to be taught how to recognize what tastes good. But that recognition tastes, takes eating that food a lot, thinking on that food a lot, comparing that food with other foods a lot. I know we got deer hunters here, and I know they appreciate this. What happens the longer you marinate a meat, that flavor profile in the food gets fuller and richer, doesn't it? As the psalmist marinates on the word of God, what happens to their taste buds? The things of God become sweet. Mm. And the false things of false gods become distasteful and hated like a baby who spits out lemon juice or Brussels sprouts. I hate that. I hate the taste of that. God's law, his word, 
is instruction in discerning what, he is, what is good to the Lord. And it's discerned through the Spirit of God given to us through Jesus. We need both in order to taste right. We need the Word and we need Christ's Spirit, like salt and pepper. If we have Christ's Spirit without marinating on God's Word, we begin to become dependent on experiences, feelings, premonitions, because we're not eating of God's food. When we're only feasting upon God's word without his spirit, we can begin to make the law something that is dogmatically to be followed or else. You see this in churches all the time, right, David? The spirit without the word becomes dependent upon the pastor's personality to make us feel inspired, to lift us up, or the music to lift us up. And That was a great worship set today. Or the word without the Spirit is a church. When you walk in, you feel this instant stare of judgment. Why did you wear that? Where's your head covering? Why just a 9.9% tithe? Where righteousness is measured by the laws you don't break rather than looking at the ones that you do. David, the word and the spirit as a pastor is enough. It is enough. Don't add more to it. Not your personality, not your guitar licks, not your clever words. The word and the spirit is enough. Discretion given to us through Christ's word and spirit helps any confused Christian know the difference between, I'll say, spiritual stevia and maple syrup. To distinguish between the easy way and the right way. To recognize false prophets from true prophets. As we abide in Christ with his spirit living within us, Obedience becomes sweet like maple syrup. Not because it earns us favor with God, but because obedience tastes like the flavor of God. And when we see false ways given by false prophets who say they're speaking for God, we can see the lack of love in what's being promoted, which is most times the preacher, the self. And we can spit it out. Oh, how I love your law like Chick-fil-A sweet tea. And I hate the taste of any imitations. The law gives you discretion. Christ's spirit and Christ's word gives you discretion to recognize the good food. Abide in his discretion, church. Jacob Swall Church, David Gallagher, you love the law of God? Does it take up space in your head like it did Christ's? Or are you filling your head with space from podcasts, from streaming services, from social media? Is that what's filling your time in your head? Is your love for the law seen in your love for Jesus, the one who loved his Father with all his heart, soul, and might, and who loved those close to him as he's been loved. 
the law, friends, is not void or irrelevant because of Christ. No. The law is fulfilled through Christ. Love him and love his law by living according to Christ's perfection, by living according to Christ's correction, and by living according to Christ's discretion all the days of your life and your life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I want to say more, oh, how I love your law. And I thank you how you have been at work in my heart and my mind to see your law as a freedom thing, to see your law as good news to my bad news, to see your law as a pointer to Jesus Christ. Help us, Father, to continue to learn to love your law. Help us to turn from the things that are taking up meditations all our days, Father, and replace them with this food, with your word, with your instruction. Oh, how I love your law, your instruction, your word to us. May we abide in it, abiding in Christ, who perfected us so that we could stand before you, who corrected us by his body and blood on the cross, and who gives us discretion to recognize any false way beyond him. We ask this all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.